Hello, and welcome to another episode of Some Random Thoughts. I am your host, Ryan Wolkowski. On this episode, I have with me my special guest, Janice Selby. Janice is a registered professional counselor and religious recovery consultant. Janice was born and raised in a charismatic Christian home, attending Pentecostal, Vineyard, and other evangelical churches before eventually marrying a man who would become a pastor. In her 30s, she became ultra-conservative, donning a head covering, homeschooling their children, and rejecting any vestiges of secular life. It wasn't until her 40s that she began experiencing doubts about her deeply held faith. As her marriage unraveled, her questions grew. She found herself wondering about the impact of religion on sexuality, gender roles and equality, social justice, and more. After ending her decades-long marriage, Janice went back to school to attain her Diploma of Applied Psychology and Counseling. She is the founder of Divorcing Religion and creator of the Divorcing Religion Workshop, along with creating the annual Conference on Religious Trauma and the Shameless Sexuality Conference. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Janice, welcome to Some Random Thoughts. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, I am super thrilled you're here, and I have been really admiring your work for at least the last couple of years, and you are doing a lot, so I don't want to waste any more time. I want to jump right in. Uh, <laughs> guys, I have Janice Selby with me. Uh, she's known as Wise Counselor. You can find her on Twitter, especially. Was it at Wise Counselor, Divorcing Religion? Uh, name some of your other social media spots and other places where people can find you and the work you're sure. doing. Yeah. People can find me on Facebook uh, just under my regular name, Janice Selby. Okay. Uh, and then I also have the Divorcing Religion group on Facebook for people who have taken my online Divorcing Religion workshop and people who are just looking for support as they're recovering from their religious experience. Uh, and then, of course, on Twitter is where I'm most active. And I'm at okay. wise underscore counselor, counselor with two L's because that's the Canadian way. Because that's the Canadian oh, that's way. That's right. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, also at Divorce uh, Religion. And okay. uh, on Twitter, I'm also come to court, C-O-R-T, court being the conference on religious trauma. And then I'm also on Twitter as uh, the Shameless Sexuality um, Conference. Uh, and of course, there's one more I'm on there, uh, Journey to Understanding, which is work that I do in conjunction with some First Nations counselors. I'm a counselor, and we are working together in Canada to help non-Indigenous people become better allies to our Indigenous neighbors. Wow. I got a lot on the go. I'm very That's busy. a lot. No, we're <laughs> going to make sure we have all of those handles and all of your information in the descriptions. Um, so don't worry, uh, listeners and viewers, you can check it all out there. But um, no, it's just incredible the amount of work you're doing. And that's why uh, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to jump right in because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. But uh, the reason why I have uh, Janice on this uh, podcast is because I've really been impressed with the amount of work that she has been doing when it when we talk about religious trauma, purity culture, uh, other problems we see in fundamentalist expressions of religion. Mm. And uh, I think it's important to really have these conversations and to talk more about um, the, you know, obviously the problems that stem from religious trauma and purity culture and things of that nature, but also where do we find hope? Where do we find healing? What are some good resources? What are some good tools to be able to start breaking free from those bonds and into, into greater freedom and awareness mm -hmm. of ourselves and mm -hmm. um, who we are as human beings and that there's nothing wrong with us. And uh, you know, Phew. religion presents itself <laughs> so many, so many problems uh about view of self and how to view others. And so uh, mm -hmm. Janice, first of all, for those of you um, who are listening, who might not know Janice, Janice, um, talk about your background a little bit. Talk about kind of how you were raised and what kind of led you into doing this work? Because I feel like yeah. the story of how people get into this work is just as mm -hmm. fascinating and, and as interesting as the work they're doing themselves. And you yeah. have a really fascinating story. So please tell us uh, just briefly, how did you get into doing work in religious trauma and purity culture and, sure. and things like that? Yeah, thanks for asking. 
uh, I was raised in a Pentecostal flavored family in Canada. So, <laughs> pardon me, speaking in tongues and uh, my parents would anoint me with oil when I was sick and pray over me and have other people pray over me. And there would be, uh, there was a lady in the church who might prophesy. She had the gift of prophecy. And so that was always exciting if she would come over to you and have a word from God. <laughs> so that was very normal to me when I grew up. And I, I went to public school, my siblings and I, my parents, we never had much money. There's no way they could send us to private school and nobody was homeschooling at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad is a, a narcissist, a significant narcissist. So when mm -hmm. you combine narcissism and religious fundamentalism, um, you can end up in a very punitive kind of rules oriented situation. So I found my safety in following rules. Rules made me feel safe, even though the rules might change, you know, from day to day, those goalposts might be moved, but at least I felt there was some safety if I knew the rules and I could follow them. And so uh, my siblings, my older siblings, they all uh, left Christianity in their teens. And I saw how that hurt my parents. And I determined, oh, I was not going to be responsible for causing them that kind of hurt. And <clears throat> pardon me, I didn't see any reason not to believe the Bible. Uh, I believed it literally. My father believed it literally, and there was no room for any other interpretation there. Okay. So I had to do a lot of compartmentalizing in my mind, of course, between what I would learn at school and right. then um, what my parents would tell me and my Sunday school teachers, youth group, that sort of thing. And so then I, uh, I did a few years of... Uh, or what we call backsliding in my mm. late teens. And I joined a rock band and I sang in the bars and I you know, did all those kind of worldly things. And then I got into my early twenties and I was like, nope, that's just, Jesus wants me too much. I got to go back. So I had my big back to Jesus moment. And then, and then I never looked back after that. I was diehard, just born again, believer. Wow. Everything was very serious all the time all Jesus all the time, like a radio station or something. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> so then I married a fellow who was um, also quite devout and he wanted to uh, become a, a pastor. So <clears throat> we had a couple of kids and we moved to uh, Bible college, a very conservative Bible college on the prairies in Canada. And while we were there, I became ever more fundamentalist became much more fundamentalist than my parents I mean we had tv when I was growing up we had a lot of restrictions around what we could watch but there was a tv available right I've had my kids and did the deep dive down the fundamentalist rabbit hole and there was no tv no secular influences I started wearing a head covering long skirts and dresses no makeup oh, wow. okay. ring. didn't even wear my wedding ring um just took it all very seriously and I felt safer uh, the more rules there were. So when I found these uh, Anabaptist type people, closed Mennonite, not Amish, but in that vein, okay. uh, I thought, okay, these are people who are really taking the Bible very seriously. They absolutely believe it. They're trying to live it out, <clears throat> be separate from the world. So that felt safe to me because I loved rules. Um, even though it was hard on my husband at the time, because he didn't, that's not the person he married. He married someone who was more flexible than that and someone who, okay, gotcha. you know, wasn't afraid to speak her mind. But I, our marriage was difficult for various reasons. And part of the reason I adopted a head covering uh, was because I felt if the marriage isn't working, it's, it can't be my husband's fault. He's given to me as my spiritual head. It must be me. I'm not submissive enough. That is the problem. So when I started wearing a wow. head covering, it was an outward symbol to me um, to shut my pie hole, you know, just not be so uh, offering my opinion all the time. And um, it really was counter to the person that, that I am. It was a lot of work for me. It was, I was constantly kind of uh, filtering myself and dulling my shine or dimming my sparkle however you want to say it so that I would mm. receive more and more into the background Jesus of course more into the foreground but also my husband more into the foreground so um, that's what it was like for a number of years and then uh, 
we had a couple years where it was just calamity after calamity hit our poor family, um, mm-hmm. lots of tragedies. And then uh, the final very difficult thing was our youngest daughter um, received a life-threatening diagnosis. And I heard her oh at one point praying, she was 10, asking God what she had done wrong, oh, like why he gosh. was punishing her. And that was, that was just it for me. I couldn't, uh, I, I felt like I had bet on the wrong horse. You know, that was the only religion I knew. Okay. And I believed that it was absolutely true. But in that moment, I thought, no, if there, if there is a God and he sees everything, he just doesn't care about what my kid is going through, or he doesn't mm. see everything. And so in that case, what good is it to serve such a God? Um, so then right. I started to explore, I gave myself permission to start exploring other belief systems. And it was very scary because I still believed in a literal hell at that time. And I okay. thought I could be willing potentially to pay the price, uh, but I, I couldn't have my children have to pay the price for my own unbelief. Like I was trying to hedge all my bets, you know, figure mm. out, is there a safe way that I can explore. And in the end, I just decided to go for it. I was going to give myself freedom to explore everything that was of interest to me. And so I um, did a deep dive into the new age camp because then I could still, I felt I still had kind of a connection to spirituality, but without the dogma until I've been in there long enough to recognize that there is dogma everywhere. (laughs) Okay. So you get involved in some kind of dogma show up. Um, but, uh, you know, I grew dreadlocks, and got tattoos and smoked weed and did all the things. And so my poor kids who were like in their teens and they just see mom going from being wound tighter than a screw to all of a sudden being like, oh, there's no rules. Um, yeah. They had a front row seat to that gong show. And I think it was hard on them. It was, I'm sure, very disconcerting. And the marriage continued to unravel at that point as well so oh, so you were still married when yeah, you were starting but he to wasn't pastoring anymore he wasn't pastoring okay. anymore. and our um he had essentially stopped attending church i was still going and dragging the kids along although by then they didn't even want to be going and so i wasn't homeschooling by then when we moved back to our hometown and uh it was too expensive for me to be a stay-at-home mom anymore so we both had to be working. So then I put the children into a Christian school, uh, but yeah. they didn't like it. They didn't feel that they fit in. So right. ended up putting them in public school. It's just very tumultuous time with lots oh, of wow. transitioning and no, not feeling like there was any solid ground beneath our feet. When Can't I imagine. really pulled on that thread and it all started to unravel and dissolve, you know, my entire assumptive worldview also dissolved. So if that's our framework for how we understand the universe and how the world yeah. works, and then the frame itself disappears, yeah. um, you're just in a free fall. So it was yeah. real, a time of existential crisis uh, and tremendous grief. I was plunged into a significant grief uh, as I determined that the, the God that I thought was there wasn't there the beliefs right. that I had that I thought were utterly true uh, were not true. So what is true? Who can I trust? What else am I believing that may not be true and accurate? But I had to keep going to work every day. I had to keep showing mm. up at, my, at the hospital doing the job I was doing there. And it's different if you lose a partner or a child, even if you lose a pet, your boss can be like, oh, okay, yeah, you need to take the day or whatever. But when you're like, oh, I lost my God or I lost my whole belief system. I it's like completely different to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they can't get it. And they yep. say, well, you just stop believing in Santa Claus, which is really offensive because my belief. Was you're not worshiping Santa Claus. You're, there's not an entire religion surrounded, right. like dedicated to Santa Claus. And you're not revering him in a in a. How, you know, in a, a place of worship every week, it's a completely yeah. different. Oh yeah, scenario. and it's not an entire community built around. Correct. That club. <laughs> so my my entire identity, all the different facets of my identity, yeah. were dissolving. I was no longer a 
devout Christian. I was no longer a homeschool mom. Eventually, I was mm. no longer even a wife, and I was no longer a Christian. I remember just going in to change uh, the name on my driver's license when I wasn't married anymore and going back to my um, maiden name. And, and I was crying as I was mm. standing there. And the lady's like, you know, what, are you having a problem here? But it was, yeah. just, it was so much unraveling of everything yeah. that had been my entire life. Yeah, profound then. grief is what it sounds like exactly yes I know you know yeah. a lot about um grief and I find, specifically yeah yeah and when we are talking about loss of religious faith there's ambiguous loss going on because we don't have any closure for right. for the bereaved there's disenfranchised grief because yep. Uh, the grief can't be openly acknowledged. Most people don't understand it. And there's yep. unresolved grief, the cumulative grief that adds mm. up. Uh, and so if we aren't able to connect with anyone else, and I didn't for years, I didn't know anyone else who had been as devout as I was and then lost right. their faith. I just was all by myself till I found Dr. Winnell, Dr. Marlene Winnell, and her wow. book is called Leaving the Fold. Excellent book, by the way, for yeah. all of you. Please go grab a copy of that book and read yes. it. It's an extremely it's seminal work. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she's a pioneer in the field of religious trauma, and of I would course, say she so. coined the phrase "religious trauma syndrome." So uh, when I saw uh, Dr. Winnell on some videos, uh, and I reached out to her immediately, and it's such a relief even to hear the voice of another person on the other end of the phone who mm. could understand what I was going through and I attended yeah. some of her retreats and connected for the first time in real life with other people this was pre-pandemic um other people who were recovering from religion wow. and then after I'd done that for a while oh and I also had gone back to school and uh, re um, reached my designation of registered professional counselor in Canada and it's while I was doing that that I was learning about my own trauma I didn't even yeah. know I'd never heard of religious trauma I had no name for it I was right. just like have I been in a cult what what is going on here so I was doing right. a lot of study on my own but I didn't have the proper words uh, for it deconstruction deconversion religious trauma um, so the more I studied the more sense it started to make pieces fell into place and then meeting mm. Marlene uh, and then I thought I'm going to put a workshop together, an online workshop, so other people can start interacting with those who have left religion and figuring out what's happened to them and where they might want to go. So that was the Divorcing Religion Workshop. And then I thought, I'm going to put a conference together. Why wouldn't I? I knew nothing about conferences. I think I've been to a total of two conferences. So I'm the perfect The person. amount of confidence you have in, in, in putting oh together God. a conference. I remember telling Marlene, I'm going to do a conference. She's like, are you sure you won't do that? I'm like, oh, yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <clears throat> so with her backing, I mean, the conference wouldn't have taken off without her uh, backing. Oh, wow. And uh, I just started writing to people who had written books or people she recommended and mm -hmm. before I know it I have like over 20 people willing to take a chance on this conference on religious trauma that's never been done before they'd never heard of it and I was going to host it in Vancouver and then bang along comes mm. the pandemic yep. and guidelines yep. everything and my life fell apart for all sorts of different uh, reasons. And it took me a while to catch my breath and catch up. Mm. And then last year, I thought, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to yep. just move it online. So we yep. did the, the inaugural conference on religious trauma um, last year. And do you know we're still selling tickets to it? Because people can buy the recording. I think that was such a brilliant idea on your part. Because I got the, I wasn't able to attend it live. And so, but I was like, I know Janice and I've been following Janice long enough that I know just by looking at the lineup, I'm like, I have to get this information. These, these are amazing pioneers, scholars, experts in this, in these field of religious trauma. So I purchased like the on-demand thing. And I was just like, so grateful you offered that because honestly, just not being able to go live was like, I was so upset, but then I was like, oh, she's giving the on-demand option. And so I'm so glad you're still selling that as a resource because yeah. honestly it's excellent i've i have i have seen them for i have seen it firsthand purchased it on my own 
want to make sure to you know disclaim oh. that purchased it with my own money. Yeah. Oh, and I give it to me for free. It's yeah. this is not a sponsored thing. This was just I was genuinely interested in it and wanted mm-hmm. to support Janice and support the work uh, she did. And let me tell you, the amount of money you would pay for that. I mean, I would have paid double, honestly, mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. amount of information alone that is yeah. in that on-demand uh, access ticket. Very, <laughs> yes. very good resource. So all of you, please, if you're interested at all in religious trauma or just want to learn more about it, or you're struggling with your own you know, spiritual identity or non-religious identity, or you're mm-hmm. just you know, dealing with some trauma or some grief, some loss, whatever it is, go check out those resources. They're extremely helpful. Sorry, Janice, I had to say that. I just really wanted to make sure people knew. (laughs) It's an excellent, excellent resource. And we're going to talk more in a little bit about uh, court coming back. That's right. uh, Soon. And so Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to go back to um, kind of your deconversion a little bit. And Mm -hmm. so you went from like fundamentalist Christian. Is that a accurate way yeah. to depict it yeah. fundamentalist pentecostal uh-huh. so like fundamentalist christian then you kind of went into like more of a new age spirituality kind of realm mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. did you eventually for those who don't know i mean i know but for those who don't know so you eventually deconverted into um atheism or agnosticism how would you label it for yourself kind of what is your yeah. current belief system or foundational sure yeah so i grew up pentecostal then became more of a Mennonite. So I used to call myself like a Menacostal. And then- um, Menacostal, I haven't heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) Left left, uh, Christian fundamentalism, moved into um, new age, which to me was much more of an agnostic um, Mm. feeling. Like I felt certain there was a a loving force somewhere kind of guiding things or whatever in the universe. and then actually what started happening for me that, that pushed me out of that was a lot of the people um, that I knew in the, in the New Age community became, were very interested in channeling, like they thought they would have people who are hearing from deceased, whatever, oh, other right. spirits and stuff like that. And yep. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like this, I don't, I already left something that now I think is kind of crackpot. And now you guys are telling me this, I, it's not going to work for me. Um, and then I was super sad because again, I was losing a community. I had gone mm. from, and this is really common, of course, when people leave a fundamentalist group, we can tend to run headfirst into another you know, happened to me. Group. Yep. Yes. Yes. It's yep. very, very common uh, until we start recognizing patterns and recognizing the emotional longings and the unmet needs and understanding mm. manipulation that some of the groups use. Um, so then I went, uh, I left the new age community, um, but I still, I just was really sad about that. And I wasn't mm-hmm. sure um, what exactly I believed. And then I just started reaching out to other people I knew who had left um, religion and kind of finding out what's, what is working for them? What do they think? And then uh, I started embracing science, which I had never done in my entire life, um, and found my own comfortable space um, as an atheist. So recognizing that people develop and cling to beliefs for any number of reasons and i'm not interested in talking anyone out of their faith that's not okay how i see my job because it was very traumatizing to me when i lost my faith i see myself standing outside the church at the bottom of the church steps catching people who are like thrown out or kind of stumble out of the church Mm. or whatever they're just waking up and realizing it's not where they belong anymore and so I'm kind of a safety net there telling them, you know what, you, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay, it is possible for you to build a life that is meaningful to you, and happy and satisfying and fulfilling without religion. I did it, and you can do it too. So that's more the space that I see myself in, as well as educating people about religious trauma syndrome, because yeah, it does it does exist. There are a lot of people who are traumatized by religion, even though their parents thought they were doing the best thing for them, or, you know, they came into it by very honest, uh, hopeful means, but it does uh, leave a mark, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a counselor, um, 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that clarification. No, so as a counselor, please tell us, um, kind of give us an overview of like, what is religious trauma syndrome? Sure. Dr. Yeah. Winnell, you said, is the one that coined that term. I want to make sure we attribute it. So it was Dr. Winnell coined uh, Winnell. And, it, and it's mm-hmm. attributed to her. So tell yeah. us a little bit from, you know, what she has said and what you have learned. What is religious trauma syndrome? What are some of the markers of it? And what are some of the common struggles that you've seen yeah. people that have religious trauma syndrome go through? And how do you provide support to those people? Yeah, my understanding. So religious trauma uh syndrome isn't in the uh the dsm it's but it's a a term that she uses uh kind of to categorize a group of symptoms that are very commonly experienced uh for people who when they are in fundamentalist groups and there are so there are all sorts of losses and restrictions placed on us being in those groups But then again, when we leave those groups, then there's a whole additional layer of losses uh, and traumas that that can go along with that. Some people, um, so they lose, I lost my church community, but I didn't lose my family. Some people are completely cut off from their family. They're ill-equipped educationally if they grew up in a closed um, group, like the Amish or uh, different Mormon polygamous communities. and different, uh, even family type cults, Bible cults, where the education is sorely lacking. And then if they tell their parents or tell the church that they no longer believe, they are utterly cut off and cast out. And it's like being landing in a strange country and you don't speak the language and you don't know anybody, you don't have support and you don't even know how to get support. So you can imagine how isolating and devastating and terrifying that yeah, is and we can have um physiological responses that kind of go along with the grief right and the anxiety and people can have insomnia they can have gastrointestinal issues they can have anger related issues and memory uh problems uh dissociation we can end up trying to self-medicate either by jumping into another group like we've talked about or um, kind of swapping that religious addiction for a substance or or behavioral Mm. um, type addiction where we're just simply trying to uh, cope with the pain or keep the pain at bay. And all those things uh, can be common. And I mean, fear of hell is probably the the biggest thing. Fear of hell and sexuality issues, purity culture, um, indoctrination okay. issues. Those are two huge things that a lot of folks struggle with uh, when they've left Christianity. And of course, I see clients who've left all sorts of uh, religions and cults. I mean, yoga, yoga cults, or uh, maybe someone's come out of Islam or they were a Jehovah's Witness. There are all sorts of different groups, but really right. the big three, the Abrahamic um, religions are the ones quite prone to fundamentalism for sure. Mm. So it sounds like, and that's really helpful to know. So it sounds like religious trauma syndrome, like you said, it's an umbrella term for multiple um, like issues. So it sounds like it's like an umbrella term for like grief, like in profound grief or, you know, different, you know, variations of grief. It sounds like, you know, there's could be some post-traumatic stress disorder because um, like you said, there's cumulative trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Complex trauma. So mm-hmm. probably complex grief, complex trauma. S- for some people, there could be addiction issues, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like you said, they're switching, you know, one quote unquote addiction, like, cause religion can have, you know, a similar effect on the brain when it comes yeah. to addiction than like substances and things yes. like that. And actually, so yeah. if we look at uh, the, the laundry list of traits for adult children of alcoholics, Okay. Uh, we find much, much crossover uh, for people who grew up in religious homes, like second gen people, third gen people. They, there's a lot of crossover in what they uh, experience and the traits that they have as a result of that. And that's what wow. I think is it's important for people to recognize that. Yeah, no, so it, it's really... So like religious trauma syndrome, I think I just want people to really know like just the seriousness of it, because like you said, I think societally, we still have a very infantile uh, understanding of 
exactly what people go through when they go through deconstruction or deconversion Mm -hmm. on a spiritual level. Like, I think a lot of people could be extremely dismissive and we see that both from like fundamentalist religious people. And we could see it from maybe lifelong atheists or agnostics that have never Uh had a religious belief system. You can kind of see it on both ends, you know, the minimizing and the gaslighting and the Mm -hmm. kind of just, you know, shrugging it off. Like it's not a big deal or why people blaming and the victim. Yeah, exactly. Victim blaming. And so you see a lot of those, you know, tendencies. And so it's important for people like you and for many others who have been speaking out, like, this is not just manby pamby, uh, not serious at all kind of discussions. Like these are these, you know, religious trauma fundamentally causes, you know, mental health disorders for a lot of people that a lot of people need to work through with a trained counselor or trained therapist Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And multiple interventions need to be used at times to kind of, uh, you know, disentangle and work through the grief and the trauma and the addiction and the loss and all this other conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. My, my friend, uh, Dr. Clint Haycock, he, um, he's going to be speaking at court this year and he has a great podcast you might enjoy called the mind shift uh, podcast and clint speaks in terms of unpicking the conditioning that was part Mm. of our religious uh, home environment and it does take a while to do and i encourage people to seek out specifically a secular therapist as they're working through these things and i mean of course you want to ask if the therapist is familiar with religious trauma and religious trauma syndrome and purity culture hopefully they have dr winnell's book on their bookshelf and they've read through it Um, it can really be helpful to speak with a therapist or coach or consultant who has come out of a religious trauma background on their own. Yeah. And we want also for them to be trauma informed because now we yes. have a greater understanding of how uh, emotional uh, and mental trauma and spiritual trauma impacts our body and how yeah. we carry it with us. And we want to be able to offer clients um, some ideas for how they can regulate their nervous system. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's all just really good disclaimers and really good information to put out there. Um, what are some resources that you know of that people can go to? Um, you know, obviously they can go to your resources and I would want them mm-hmm. to, and you mentioned, um, you know, Dr. Winnell, Dr. Who was the other one? Dr. Clint. Oh, Dr. Clint Haycock. His, Haycock. Uh, his, I want to make sure I got yeah. his last name right. Dr. Clint right, Haycock. Um, yeah. What are some other resources that you know that are just really good and maybe connecting people that are just lost, right? They're, sure. they're kind of listless. They're going through this, but they don't really have a community. They don't know where to turn yeah. to. They don't know where to right. get help. What are some yeah. resources out there that you think could be helpful in finding people the help that they need? Excellent question. Two uh, fantastic um, organization. So the first is Journey Free. You can get there, journeyfree.org. That is Dr. Winnell's uh, website. And through that site, members have, uh, they can be part of conference calls twice monthly. There's a massive forum for people who, from every religious background, who are just trying wow. to figure out what's going on. You know, all sorts of different topics available for discussion. Uh, and then another terrific one is Recovering from Religion, recoveringfromreligion.org. And that's Dr. Okay. Daryl Ray. And I just love Daryl. He speaks at uh, my court conferences and he's also speaking at the Shameless Sexuality Conference. Oh, great. Um, awesome. And Recovering from Religion, <clears throat> pardon me, is a very important group because not only do they have their RFRX uh, podcast, but they do they have lots of online support groups. And then also they have in-person support groups all across uh, North America, well, particularly the United States. Yeah, so kind of like meetup groups um, for people in person, if it's safe in their area from the pandemic. But so important, again, to be building secular community because the church religious community is the one-stop shop. You go there on Sunday and you get all these different needs met. And then you leave that community yep. and you kind of feel really isolated yep. and on your own. So I want people to be thinking in terms of how are they building supportive uh, communities for themselves? And then I tell people to build, build communities around things that you enjoy doing. Do you love hiking? Are you into bird watching? Like you can find different groups in your town. They're nothing to do with religion. Yeah, sometimes there might be a religious nutter in there or whatever, but it's not a religious group. Mm. And you're allowed to go out and get your social needs met that way. 
by meeting people. Maybe you want to try tango or salsa or something. Uh, if your community's opening up post-pandemic, just a great way to get out there and meet people. So you don't just stay isolated uh, in your living room by yourself all the time. Yeah, that's an excellent reminder. I remember I you know, was deconstructing, obviously, during the pandemic, and I had started many, several years before that, but I remember when I kind of landed in agnostic atheism and then humanism, it was right in the middle of the pandemic. It was like, (laughs) okay, so right at the moment when I get to this spot, you know, at least where I lived, it was still it wasn't as, you know, locked down as other areas, but it was still like fairly like there's not much you can do. Like people weren't doing meetup groups and people weren't yeah. doing So it was just really hard for me to really get the ball rolling because I had left the church completely. And I, like you said, you leave everything behind and you were getting everything from this one place. And then uh-huh. you leave that, then you're like left with a void of, oh, I didn't realize like all my friends were in this place and all my mm-hmm. social activities were in this mm-hmm. place and my beliefs were in this place. And I was gaining my identity from this place. Yeah. And, so, and then when all that just gets disentangled. So that's one thing I've been trying to work on more is really trying to connect to secular communities because that's the one thing I haven't been able to do in person. But being able to do it online has been really good for me. Yeah. And it's been good uh, for Twitter, my Twitter, I have found super helpful. I never really yeah. was on Twitter much, um, too much before. And the reason, so I first did two different Twitter accounts. The first one is my wise counselor one, and I'm talking all the time about religious trauma and purity culture. And the second account was more anonymous when I first started it, the divorce religion. I never have my <clears throat> face on there and people yeah. can't tell my gender from that. And I specifically started the divorce religion account because I wanted to know what it might feel like for me to post like a man, how I thought a man would, because mm. I'm coming out of a very repressed uh, background as far as being a woman and having yeah. to be <clears throat> be submissive and be quiet and always be polite and all, you know all these kinds of things that women or females are told from the time they're little and I thought what would it be like to be in a space where I could tweet my thoughts I don't have to use like emojis I don't have to be filtering myself because to me that's more of a masculine energy what a man does they just show up and present themselves that's how they are that's who they are you're going to like it or lump it And that was totally different than the idea I had about feminine energy and how I have to Mm. show up as a woman. So it was really an experiment for me to do that. And I I get quite a chuckle out of it when people occasionally comment uh, to a post they make as divorce and religion, they call me bro or brother or man or whatever. It's like, ha ha, you only knew. But it's been helpful for me to find my voice on Twitter and to be able to express myself and to know that I am allowed to have an opinion and nobody else has to share that opinion. I'm allowed to have that opinion and I can share that opinion. Hopefully I'm, I'm open to feedback and I like to learn. I don't, if I'm wrong about something, I definitely want to know. I don't want to ever be misleading people or, Mm. you know, saying things that just aren't um, factual on there, but I'm allowed to have uh, my own thoughts and opinions on all sorts of different things. So yeah, no, I think I I have the similar experience. I think, um, you know, when I was deconstructing, Twitter was like my safe landing spot. Facebook wasn't safe for me. Instagram wasn't safe for me. Nothing else was safe for me. Twitter was the only place where a lot of the people that I knew from religious circles were not on that space. Yes, yes. So yes. I like had a Twitter account for a long time and never used it. And then about three mm. years ago, started using it. And it was tremendously helpful to connect with people like you and countless other people. That's that so cool. I was like, oh, wow, I'm not alone in this and I'm not going crazy. And yeah. this is just like a normal thing that's happening as I'm experiencing grief and loss and trauma. Mm. I'm experiencing similar things that plenty of other people are experiencing and to feel not alone in that was extremely powerful and extremely healing. And then actually, you know, seeking help in, in different ways and then trying to seek community. Mm-hmm. And those are, and those are things that sounds like you encourage clients to do, which is mm-hmm. it's hard work, but trying to seek those support systems and to build a supportive network around you to not isolate yourself, but to, to get yourself seen Yes. In front of and people also, that you can feel safe with is important. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so being aware that we are vulnerable coming out of fundamentalist backgrounds, uh, we have a certain 
vulnerability. So some of us were taught it was demanded of us like a cult of confession. You know, mm. you can't just have any thought. You you have to, if you had a bad thought, you have to tell your youth pastor or your accountability group or whatever. Mm. You're never really allowed to be private with what you're thinking. And then so some of us were transitioning into secular spaces and we overshare as a result mm. of that. We're, we're more inclined to just divulge all sorts of stuff. And oh, people who don't know you very well, if they're not asking, they probably don't want to know or they might become quite uncomfortable when you're It's called trauma dumping, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was experienced. I was, uh, unfortunately, I, I think at the very beginning, kind of pr- led my lend myself into trauma dumping. And I had to realize very quickly, like, that's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the people receiving it either. So we need <laughs> to find better ways to like, process God. trauma than to just explode it all over the internet or, you know, yes. public forums where it's not being received. That's right. And also we know that anger can be uh, a legitimate part of the grieving process. Mm -hmm. Um, And also there is a difference between productive anger that might lead us to make some changes versus, you know, annihilating, self-immolating anger that's just going to consume everybody. And so a lot of um, kind of deconstructing groups uh, are full of very, very angry people. So we, right. it's important for us also coming out of religious backgrounds to learn about boundaries because there's a good chance mm. that boundaries were not permitted in our family right. or in our group. Correct. Our yep. people had to have access to us all the time and we had to be serving all the time and not yep. having our own opinions. Just we're not allowed to be curious. We can only be obedient. That's uh, right. So it's a whole yep. Paradigm shift as we start to embrace autonomy and even learning about autonomy and consent. Who knew? Like it's those are shocking <laughs> ideas for those of us who grew up in um, fundamentalist backgrounds, or not even grew up in some of the uh, people. Every person is vulnerable to a high demand group. All it takes yeah. is for you to be in a state of flux or transition. You might have just moved away to a new city for college, or you might be moving from, uh, you know, childhood to young adulthood. You might have lost your job, your partner died, someone in your family is incarcerated. Any of these transitions Mm. can leave us vulnerable to cults and high demand groups and various religions who can come in and love bomb us, make us Mm. feel welcome, make us feel special. So There's also in the work that I do a lot of um, psychoeducation with clients so Mm. that they don't fall prey to fundamentalist groups. Again, I'm always recommending um, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Uh, Freedom of Mind is his website and the bite model is the model that he uses to help people when they're considering maybe joining uh, a new group. Um, So I'll just put that bug in your listeners. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. I knew that it was going to be just chock full of information. You did not disappoint at all, Janice. But before, <laughs> but before uh, I let you go, I do want to spend a few more minutes talking about uh, your work. So let's talk about divorcing religion, court, mm. shameless sexuality. Um, oh, so uh, yeah, tell us first about divorcing religion. Talk about the <laughs> divorcing religion workshop. What could people sure. expect from Thank that space you. first? Yeah, um, I use the phrase divorcing religion because, of course, when I was losing my faith, leaving my faith, however you want to put it. At the same time, I was losing my marriage, walking away from my marriage. I was divorcing Mm. religion and divorcing my husband at the same time. By the way, so we were married, we were together for almost 20 years, and we are much better friends now than we we were spouses. A wonderful friendship, very close. I just had him and our grown daughters over, along with my new partner uh, yesterday for lunch, quite quite a nice situation. That's really cool. I'm so happy to hear that. And I think, oh man, we could just talk. I should have you on another episode just (laughs) talking about, because you have a really unique perspective. Cause I think the majority of people where I hear their deconstruction stories, it sounds like a very individualized journey, but for you, the journey involved a husband, it involved children and navigating that I think there are so many people that are trying to fi- like figure out, okay, how can I deconstruct? How can I move through this specific journey yeah. and honor myself? But how do I also 
navigate the interpersonal relationships of the people that I'm invested in, which is Mm -hmm. like my, definitely my children and then possibly my spouse. Um, Oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't get to that. And I I would love to have you back on another time because I think you could provide lived experience and expert insight on how do you navigate that? Because it's so much more complex than just an individualized journey of deconstruction, which is already difficult as it is, but yes. Yeah. Very, very tricky. And actually one of our speakers at court will be specifically addressing that this year. Um, the idea of navigating relationships with still believing family members and friends. That's so hard to do. But for me, uh, the divorcing divorcing religion, when I came up with my workshop, I broke it down into um, five uh, segments, and then I added one bonus um, segment. And they they reflected the different phases of uh, divorce. So I looked at um, breaking up is hard to do. That's when you realize your faith is over, uh, being uncomfortably numb, facing the realities of grief, coming up with a separation agreement. I found this mm. to be very healing for people because rituals and ceremonies are important when we're leaving one yep. part of our life and moving into another one. Um, talked about identity reconstruction uh, and then one I called plenty of fish which is finding and building your new communities and then the last one is called mind control don't let an old flame burn you twice and so wow. each of those has to do with um, you know the, the the breakdown the loss the transition out of religion into secular life and it's a six-week workshop. It's online. It's a small group. I never have more than 10 people. Okay. Um, and it's we meet for about an hour and a half to two hours every Sunday morning, of course. Uh, for those Yes. <laughs> Perfect time to do it. Perfect <laughs> right. time. I know they're it. not going to be in church. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a great time for people to connect with others who can relate to the journey out of religion. Someone else can mm-hmm. relate to the pain. And I have people there they're coming from all different backgrounds. And, you know, I've had ex-Mormons in there with, with uh, you know, ex-Orthodox um, uh, Jewish people and ex-Baptists, or I've had one group that was all just happened to be men who had been in the ministry, it was only four of them, uh, but they all were ex-pastors. That was a really interesting dynamic. And the most recent imagine. one I did happened to be all ladies. Usually it's quite a mix of uh, men and yep. women, all different age ranges, all different backgrounds. And they become a really tight, uh, supportive group over the six weeks and often decide to um, pursue friendships uh, and stay connected. That's really after neat. After the group ends. Yeah, it feels really good. It's very rewarding. I just love doing it. So that's the Divorcing Religion Workshop that's online. I do yep. that a few times a year. And that's then awesome. The and then court. Thing, yeah, it's court, the conference on religious trauma. <laughs> and when I first I was thinking about court and putting it together. I didn't know if there'd be like 30 people who would be mm. interested, maybe 50 people. When the last time I checked, we had sold over 330 tickets. For wow. Inaugural conference. That wow. That's amazing. Crazy. And so now um, I'm putting court together. I've got all my speakers. It's taking place online April 29th to May 1st, shorter this year, because I don't have like 22 speakers. I was like, go big or go home. So <laughs> it's just going to be Friday okay. evening and then all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Um, oh, Dr. Winnell cool. will join us again. Dr. Ray is joining us again. And then I have speakers from one from a Mormon background, one from a Muslim background, uh, one that was involved in a in a Christian type cult for for many years, and they'll be speaking on. Oh, and then there's like psychology professors and social workers, wow, and therapists awesome, who specialize in uh, religious trauma. That's their area of special interest and expertise. And one's going to be talking about fear of hell. One's going to be talking about navigating relationships post deconversion. Uh, one's going to be talking about um, sexuality post deconversion. There's just all these different topics. So I encourage uh, your listeners to go to uh, religioustraumaconference.org. That's awesome. And lastly, let's talk about the uh, Shameless Sexuality Conference coming up yeah. later in the fall, I believe. Is that right? 
October 14th to 16th. And uh, this is an inaugural event, just like court was inaugural last year. This is inaugural this year. Uh, and it's going to be big. I have, I think I have at least 15 um, speakers from very wow. diverse backgrounds. I have yep. sex therapists, um, psychologists, people who, uh, people who've come out of religion so they're familiar with religious trauma and then also maybe some of them have opened up their marriages or they're exploring different types of relationship they're they've been exploring their own sexuality I mean we're pretty much forbidden if we grew up fundamentalist from being anything other than hetero and those were the only acceptable relationship dynamics but a lot of us upon leaving or even well before we left were very uncomfortable because we didn't fit that mold. I'm, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community uh, and I couldn't explore that while I was married to a pastor and while I was in the religion. That couldn't come until I felt that I was sufficiently removed from that community that I could do my own exploration. So there'll be all sorts of topics related to uh, purity culture indoctrination that'll be talked about at the shameless sexuality conference I'm very oh excited. man that's exciting that's so exciting <laughs> and such a needed that. resource and so mm -hmm. I'll make sure to put all of that information uh in the description so people can have access to um all of the conference websites are gonna have access to all uh, your websites and your uh, handles and everywhere you are on the internet mm -hmm. um <clears throat> I have with me as my guest uh Janice Selby uh, divorcing religion and lots of other great things. Uh, Janice, thank you so much for being on some random thoughts. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and we'll make sure to have you on in the future again. What a pleasure. Thank you. All right. And thank you for listening and watching and uh, take care. Thank you so much for listening to some random thoughts. You can find the podcast in audio form wherever you get your podcast and at anchor.fm slash some random thoughts you can find the podcast in video form on my youtube at youtube.com slash ryan molkowski connect with me on twitter and instagram at ryan molkowski and on my website at www.ryanmolkowski.com that's r y a n m U-L-K-O-W-S-K-Y Programming note. This is a completely self-produced project and the guests on this program have volunteered their time. So until next time, you have one life. Make the most of it.